Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you check out Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy, available on Amazon.com. Today, I'll be speaking with Michelle Stiller-Bradley and Alex Lundy of Hope Rising Clinic. Michelle Stiller-Bradley has worn many hats in her 30-year social service career, therapist, case manager, forensic child interviewer, child abuse investigator, caseworker, advocate, and director. With a bachelor's degree in social welfare, a master's in counseling, and a doctorate in healthcare administration in process, she currently serves as the chief program officer at Wonderland Child and Family Services, where she has worked for over a decade. While overseeing Wonderland's Early Childhood Intervention Program, Michelle developed a special interest in serving children with prenatal substance exposure. She has channeled this passion and her personal experience in raising a child with FASD into the development of Wonderland's Hope Rising Clinic for prenatal substance exposure, an innovative Diagnostic and Treatment Center for Children and Families in the Greater Seattle Area. Michelle is also on the Board of Directors of NOFAS Washington. Her most important job is parenting four children ages 12 to 23 years old. Alex Lundy has been leading a multidisciplinary team providing holistic services to children with prenatal substance exposure and their families. Alex began her career in the field of neurodiversity as a behavior technician for children with autism. She found joy in discovering how to enter a child's world and to teach communication, leading her to pursue a master's in speech language pathology at the University of Oregon. She has worked in a variety of settings, including early intervention, outpatient clinics, and schools. Alex began to notice children in the school system struggling with emotional regulation, social skills, and impulse control who did not have a diagnosis, but they all had something in common, a history of trauma and suspected prenatal substance exposure. A few years later, Alex moved to Seattle, Washington, and began working at the Wonderland Children and Family Services. In 2019, Hope Rising Clinic for Prenatal Substance Abuse Exposure opened their doors, and Alex jumped in at the chance to lead the team and learn more about the invisible disability of FASD. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, the serenity prayer. 
Welcome to today's episode. I am so happy to be speaking with today's guests, Alex Lundy and Michelle Stiller Bradley of the Hope Rising Clinic, which is a division of Wonderland Children and Family Services. So I'm thrilled to be speaking with Alex and Michelle today. Alex and Michelle, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I am so excited about the work you're doing because Hope Rising Clinic is the first clinic of its kind, really. And to highlight the important work you're doing and to let our audience, our listeners know all about Hope Rising Clinic and how it developed is just such a great story. So Michelle, we're going to start with you. Can you share the history of Hope Rising Clinic and how it started? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So when I came to Wonderland uh, about 10 years ago, I was overseeing their early intervention program. We call it early support program now. And uh, it was a birth that included birth to three services in the home environment for kids with developmental delays and disabilities. And what we started noticing probably about three years into my work with the Wonderland team we uh, began receiving an increase in referrals for children with prenatal drug and alcohol exposure. And the providers started noticing a couple of uh, differences with this population and bringing them to my attention. And the first was that we had really seasoned evaluators going out to do evaluations on the babies that had recently come home from the NICU for the most part. And the babies weren't qualifying on the standardized tests that are used in our state. And yet they knew that they wanted to keep eyes on. They knew that there were pretty extensive um, histories of prenatal substance exposure and were concerned saying to the family, your child's not eligible, call us if if you run into problems down the road, Um, primarily because the family might not be able to call us down the road. We really wanted, that was a really important window to connect with families, particularly uh, birth parents, and uh, start to kind of monitor the the kids and give information. So that started happening, uh, and we had to be creative and use informed clinical opinion for many of our uh, eligibility uh, qualifications. And then we started noticing that for many of the kids, as they were getting ready to age out of our program at, at three years, they were functioning really remarkably well. And so on paper, we would, and this isn't true across the board, but for many of the kids it was. On paper, we would see that mom was drinking a fifth of vodka a day throughout the entire pregnancy. Mom was using methamphetamine, just really uh, a lot of exposure. And yet we'd see some of these kids who looked great and they didn't have those sort of typical delays. Uh, They had more nuanced challenges that were just starting to show, primarily with adaptive functioning, with social, emotional, with behavior. So not the traditional motor skill development, communication uh, and cognitive skills. A lot of these kids uh, are very, function very high cognitively. So we were uh, trying to connect them to the school district They weren't qualifying for school district services, which has even uh, more, they have higher eligibility requirements than what we have and what we had in early intervention. So we were sending families out the door with their kids at age three, just hoping that they'd find somewhere to go if things uh, started to become challenging. And they often did. 
And so we would get some calls back from the family saying, I was in your program and my child's now four or five years old. They didn't qualify for school district services, but oh my gosh, we're having a heck of a time with behaviors. Where do we go from here? So those two things, the um, challenges with eligibility determination and then sending the kids off and seeing that they're doing great and the parents are thinking, oh, this is wonderful. My child wasn't impacted by substances only to find out it shows up later, really led us to start asking questions. And fortunately for us, we live in the same community as Susan Astley Hemingway. Uh, and so she was our first go-to. I remember having that very first conversation with her about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and letting her know that we just, we felt like what we were doing was adequate with kids with prenatal substance exposure, but adequate didn't feel like enough. And so we wanted to really learn more about this disability. We wanted to learn uh, if there were evidence-based practices out there that would work better than what we were doing. And that really began our exploration into specializing in this field. Around the same time as my meeting, in fact, it was a little bit before my meeting with Susan, I uh, met my now husband and he said his son was in developmental preschool. And I remember asking him, oh, do you mind if I ask uh, what disability he has or what he's getting services for? And he said fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I remember just being blown away because I had, first of all, the honesty was um, really powerful. And I was really impressed with that. But also that's just not something you run into. People don't talk about that. You don't run into that every day. And it was something as an agency we were starting to develop uh, a passion for and an interest in. So this convergence happened. So my, pre my professional and my private lives came together around the same time. And we're very focused on FASD. Uh, at the time that we started the exploration, Susan helped us train our team in fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And we, we implemented a requirement that all staff went through her training and her observation as part of their onboarding and training. So we had that in place, but there was really nothing more for us to do at that point in time, but understand the disability, start to look at it through a different lens with our birth to three kiddos. Uh, we had asked, we asked her, is there a need for another FASD diagnostic clinic because they had really long waiting lists. And at the time Providence up in Snohomish County was getting ready to open one. So we didn't wanna duplicate services. Uh, we decided to work with Providence instead and we shared some of our staff with Providence since our team was developing this interest in FASD. So some of our team members got trained in actually doing the evaluations. Couple years later, Providence closed down and we started exploring again, is there a need for this? And yes, absolutely, there is a need for it. Uh, started having conversations again with Susan and some other uh, local experts in the field. Heather Carmichael Olson is another one. And once I would talk to one person, they'd connect me to another person and another person in the field. And there's just this passion, there's this movement, this energy, this passion behind this work that was really easy to get caught up in. But what I discovered in those conversations is FASD and prenatal alcohol exposure is one piece of the puzzle. And yes, we wanted to address that and we wanted to develop expertise in that. But what about all the families of children who had other prenatal exposures? There may or may not have been alcohol, but they may never get confirmation. And so the FASD diagnosis would not be an option for them. 
we really realized we want to be able to meet the needs of those families too. They're struggling. I became a member of a number of Facebook groups for parents raising children with prenatal substance exposure, and I was hearing and seeing those struggles from families just across the board with all types of exposures and history. So our vision started out as maybe we'll do some FASD um, evaluations, and it rapidly grew to, no, we want to be more than that if we're going to meet the needs in our community. So we currently have FASD evaluations and we have treatments uh, and services for kids with all prenatal substance exposures, which Alex will speak to in a little bit. But one thing I did want to cover, Natalie, is the name of our clinic. Uh, it's something that's really meaningful to all of us. And you've seen the logo, I imagine, uh, which is beautiful, something I'm so proud of. We hired a graphic designer that we worked with until she got something that we just knew was it, that just really spoke to what we do at the clinic. We did a competition with uh, stakeholders and um, our, our internal team and asked for name ideas. And we got so many and it was really fun uh, to just hear all the different ideas. But the one word that kept coming up was hope, right? And uh, that just really stuck with us and resonated with us that we want this to be a place of hope. Many of the families we're going to be serving have, been, have had their kids in multiple services and are still not feeling hopeful. They're getting services at the, at the school district that may not be meeting their child's need. So they're losing hope and they're losing faith. And we wanted to be a place to either help them develop hope for their kids if they're starting the journey uh, fresh or regain that hope. Uh, and ho so we came up with Hope Rising Clinic and rising as you notice is all in capitals because we feel like it really speaks to that rising. And it's an acronym and it stands for Resources, Intervention and Support to Inspire and Nurture Growth which we feel also reflects what we're doing at Hope Rising Clinic. So it's a name we're all really proud of and feel like it, it represents uh, the passion we have for the work and what we're doing at the clinic every day. I absolutely love that, especially creating FASD hope. We did that intentionally, just like you all, because you don't hear hope when you hear FASD and hope rising is the epitome of a place where families like ours and, and millions of others can find hope in their child's diagnosis or potential diagnosis, because you, oh, I just, I resonate with that on so many levels, Michelle, really when you're on this journey and when you hear a lot of no's, you, you want to go to a place where you're going to hear, uh, you know, something hopeful, uh, we're with you or you're not alone or let's explore this, or we're not going to give up. So I love that. And airing this episode shortly after FASD awareness month, we're airing this episode, it's still, we want to keep the conversation going, you know, the conversation of FASD and hope and supports and interventions shouldn't end in September. It should keep going year round. So I'm so glad that you both are on here discussing uh, Hope Rising Clinic. And I love that. And I do love the, the logo and I'm so glad that we are sharing it and we've shared Hope Rising as a resource. So thank you, Michelle. And of course, along with so many other guests I've spoken with, there are so many of us that have the personal and the 
professional, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's you're the parent first and then become the professional or you're the professional first and then you become personally involved. It's there's such a, a dichotomy of that mm-hmm. lived experience and professional or training or education. So what a resource you're able to offer to those families. Oh, my goodness. My hope is just hope rising would be like in every state. That would be that would be amazing if, if a clinic like Hope Rising could be in every state. So thank you, Michelle. So now, Alex, I'm going to talk to you because you've been instrumental in the growth of, of Hope Rising Clinic and you came on board a really exciting time. So let's talk about how Hope Rising has grown in the past year or two and just um, why it's so important for families to seek FASD diagnoses, even if they're just suspected. Let, let's bring it over to you, Alex. Sure, thank you. Yeah, so we opened our doors in May of 2019. And at that time, we weren't quite sure what the need was gonna be or how many families were gonna be interested. Um, and we started with four therapists. Um, we had two mental health therapists, one OT and one speech language pathologist. And then we had an intake coordinator and a family support specialist who acts as like a case, case manager for the family and helps find resources. And then um, a team supervisor. And that's what we started with. Um, and we were slowly building caseloads throughout the year. We started our FASD um, diagnostic evaluations. Um, and then very quickly, <laughs> we found that our occupational therapists and um, behavioral mental health therapists had full caseloads <laughs> really fast. Um, and so now, Two years later, we have a team of 18 employees um, and six contractors. So we have really grown in that amount of time, even with the pandemic <laughs> occurring. Our early support team had um, was impacted by that and um, enrollment had dropped some, but with ours, enrollment stayed steady and actually grew and referrals grew. For, um, starting in January this year, we had a huge increase in referrals. Um, so it really sh- you know, pr- proved to us how much there is a need for this in our community and we're only touching a small portion even of the Seattle area. So it's been really cool to see. We get referrals from all over the states from pretty far away. And so telehealth has also allowed us to expand our ability to offer services to families who would only be able to come once a month um, because the drive was so far or not at all. So that's been really cool to see. Um, And with that, our enrollment has grown by 50% this year, which is huge for a new clinic. Um, And then we've also had an increase in that mental health and occupational um, therapy referrals. And now we're, we started at one OT and now we have five. So we have really grown in a short period of time. Um, And then as well, we are really wanting to offer those evidence-based programs specific to this population. So um, our therapists have gotten trained in families moving forward um, and parents and children together and those and good buddies. And those are all programs we want to offer. And we last year had the capacity to offer five families at a time for families moving forward. And we will be up to 13 um, by the end of this year and hopefully over 20 starting next year. So that's a huge growth. (laughs) Exponential (laughs) growth. My goodness. Yeah. It's been really exciting to see. I don't know when I got on board, if I really knew where we would be in two years. Um, It's kind of cool to put it all out there and and see how we've grown. Um, And then, yeah, our goal is to be able to offer uh, those evidence-based programs and continue to grow on those. And next year we're hoping 
to be able to offer um, parents and children together packed as a group program and good buddies twice a year um, and then hopefully more, can, more often as we move forward. Um, one of the things we really noticed last year um, was the need for caregiver mental health services. So we had started with only offering uh, services to, to kids and those were our clients. And we really started, especially during the pandemic, we really started noticing this need and that we actually were spending lots of the child's therapy time supporting the parents and helping them through hard parenting skills at home. So we have started that service and um, every time we have a referral, families are so excited and are like, yes, I wanna enroll in that. So that's been something that we weren't planning to do. And that's, we have seen an increase in enrollment and interest in um, this year. That was a surprise that we are happy to support as well and kind of be that one-stop um, place for families. Oh my goodness, that's wonderful. What a need. And as a parent, I wish that... <laughs> I wish y'all hadn't been around so many years ago, but I'm so thankful for the families you're serving now. Like I'm really excited for them that they have you as this resource. And like you said, this one stop place, I cannot tell you how many times that guests have, you know, said it's such a siloed effect of care when you have a child that has a brain-based diagnosis, particularly prenatal alcohol exposure, polysubstance, you know, exposure. It's so siloed. You go to, the, you know, this place for the diagnosis, and then you go to this place for the therapy and this place for education and training. And just to know that Hope Rising has everything right there. Oh my goodness. What an amazing clinic. Oh, I, I'm just so, so thankful for the work that you both are doing and that everybody's doing. And to hear you went from, you know, five therapists to 18. I mean, wow, that, that is tremendous. So, uh, I am so, I keep saying it, but I'm just so happy to be talking to you. both. So Alex, what programs, services, specialties does Hope Rising Clinic provide for the community? And especially now during the pandemic, telehealth programs as well. Yeah. So we have like two pieces. We have our FASD evaluations. Um, so we offer the FASD four-digit diagnostic code evaluations that um, we work closely and collaborate with Dr. Susan Nestle Hemingway and her team at University of Washington. Um, many of her team members are also on our team. So we get to work with the experts, which is fabulous. <laughs> um, and we offer that. Uh, we, we do two evaluations a month right now. Um, and we've been doing that in a very interesting hybrid, some people are on site, some people are at home um, type of evaluation. And then, so that is a big piece of what we do, um, but it's not the most frequent thing we offer. Um, so most of what we do is the actual therapy services and supports. And so we offer individualized um, behavioral mental health therapy for children. And then we offer caregiver mental health therapy for the caregivers. <laughs> um, we have occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, feeding therapy, and sensory support. Um, and then all of those therapies, we utilize a prenatal substance exposure lens and the neurobehavioral model. And we really um, encourage and support caregivers in that. And we want them to have the education and support to you know, work with their kids at home. So our services can be 
you know, when a family comes in, we are really thinking about what does this family need and not necessarily what we we think they need. <laughs> so we're looking at what their, you know, availability is, what service they really need right now. Um, and we get really creative sometimes, um, which I think is something unique that we do versus other clinics. Um, and then we also have a trauma-informed care lens and our big goal for the program is to be able to offer those evidence-based programs that are specific to kids who have FASD or renal substance exposure as it's hard to find those. <laughs> so that is, you know, a big piece of what we do. Um, and so the programs we are offering right now are Families Moving Forward and Good Buddies. And we have kind of adapted Good Buddies to be done on telehealth for this year since we are in the middle of a pandemic and it's not necessarily safe to have kids together. Um, and we're hoping to be able to offer that in person how it was traditionally um, created. But we are seeing um, great results even from doing that from telehealth. It's been really cool to see the kids interacting and the progress the therapists are seeing. And then next year we're wanting to run um, parents and children together and be able to offer that twice a year as well as um, hopefully in the future, be able to offer MILE, um, which is a new one for us that we are just learning more about this year. So um, as well as, you know, incredible years, we're hoping to be able to offer that at, at some point next year. And we utilize the social thinking curriculum, um, alert programs, zones of regulation. And then our family support team really offers that case management resource support They'll attend IEP meetings with families um, and help kind of guide families through the IEP process. And our goal is to really provide support for the parents so they're the advocate for their child and they can leave us and know how to really um, inform the teachers and, and anyone working their child about FASD and prenatal substance exposure and what accommodations their kiddos might need. So uh, we do offer that. Alex, do you mind if I jump in for a second? Go ahead. Uh, so one of the things that uh, we had the benefit of, we had the benefit of 50 years of being an early support provider in King and Snohomish County. And so we really knew that world well and provided, still continue to provide exceptional services for kids birth to three. There were some components of that model that we decided, it was sort of an experiment, but we decided these things work beautifully with our agency, the culture that we have, and the families we're serving. What if we moved them over here and applied them? And one of those is the family support specialist role. For early support programs, uh, it's a requirement that every family is assigned a family resources coordinator. And we just, we saw the tremendous value that that added to the entire service team and to the family. And so even though it is not an insurance billable service, we recognized the huge value for every family at Horizon Clinic, having a family support specialist that they could touch base with on a regular basis and that the provider team, the therapist could go to the family support specialist and say, hey, this family may be experiencing homelessness soon. Uh, they need some diapers for their baby and haven't been able to leave the house. And they can then you know, pass the baton to the family support specialist and work together to meet uh, the global family needs, not just the therapeutic needs for the child. So what I just wrote on, I, I take notes during our episodes because I just, I want to really just remember 
key points. And there are so many here. What I just wrote on the top of my page is proactive. You all are proactively looking at FASD and the family, the familial, all of the ripple effects that the FASD and polysubstance, substance abuse, children that have been exposed to other substances, you all are looking at it, obviously from, um, you know, a prenatal alcohol and substance abuse lens, but really you're looking at the family in a proactive manner. So you're addressing, obviously you're addressing the needs and supports and diagnose, diagnosing the children that come to your facility, but you're also looking at just every component that's affected to know that you have a specialist that will accompany a family member to an IEP meeting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that right there, it just says proactive, you know, and, and that you all are not only thinking about the here and now of the family and of the child affected, but you're thinking about the future. And like you said, you want those parents and caregivers and family members to become the best advocates for their children, for their loved ones. So that just gives me so much hope. Oh my goodness. I'm just envisioning that logo right now and just seeing the word proactive because that is just incredible. So thinking about that and all those wonderful programs and services and specialties that you offer, let's go back a step and think about why is it so important for families to seek a diagnosis of having a, a child who may have an FASD if it's suspected? I, I often get emails and messages from listeners saying, well, we suspect it, but but why do we need to get a diagnosis? I know my elevator, five minute elevator answer, but I want to hear y'all's because I know it's going to really make a difference to those families listening out there who are kind of on the fence of, should I pursue an FASD diagnosis? I think one of the big pieces is that real, you know, understanding your child and the child's needs, strengths and weaknesses and needs and you know, why are things hard? <laughs> I think that's a big piece. And that brings a lot of relief for families and validation for families. Um, you know, a lot of our kiddos are misunderstood in the schools and they're told they're, you know, a bad kid or they're just not listening whenever we all know those brain-based differences. It's not, it's that they won't do it, it's that they can't. And so at our diagnoses, we spend time sharing that diagnosis as a team, as well as giving a list of recommendations that are specific to their what we found out during the evaluation. And I think through that, we are really pointing out those strengths in those areas that are harder and giving the recommendations for the family and programs that might be helpful, as well as for things that the school district might want to consider. Um, and we, hope that by giving them those recommendations and accommodations that are, you know, child specific for those strengths and weaknesses that long term results are more positive um, and we can help reduce those secondary characteristics of FASD. Um, so I would say that's the big piece. I don't know, Michelle, if you have anything you'd like to add to that. No, I think you covered it beautifully. With all of these amazing services, specialties, therapies that you provide for the children as well as their families and loved ones. What are some future 
goals. What are some upcoming goals that you have for the rest of 2021 and beginning in 2022 for the Hope Rising Clinic? Yeah, I think I shared a a bunch of (laughs) what our goals were earlier in mostly we wanted to be able to increase our capacity to continue to serve more families. Um, but two, two big goals that we have for this next year is, one is to um, implement a universal screening and early identification process into our early support programs so that we are catching all kiddos who come in um, who have prenatal alcohol or substance exposure so that we can follow them through those three years they're in a birth to three program and potentially refer them on and give them the supports they need whenever they might have more challenges later on. So that's one of our big goals. And then the other goal is we are looking to create a parent ally hybrid team um, where we would have members who are part of the early support team and part of our Hope Rising Clinic team who would be in a satellite location in Everett, Washington, who would be able to serve all of Snohomish County. so it would be a second location for us. And this kind of started because we have been working on partnerships with agencies who are working with parents in recovery to support those parents in caregiving, caring for their children with prenatal substance exposure. So the idea is to really um, increase our connections with birth parents and helping them care for their kids. Because we found that there's so many resources and supports for foster and adoptive parents, but sometimes those birth parents aren't getting the same supports and are not only struggling with recovery, but as well as caring for a child who might have um, different needs. So that's our, our goal with that program. What amazing goals, you know, so inclusive, again, not just looking at the child, but every single sphere in that child's life. So I'm just so happy and excited to hear about what you're all doing. And again, I said this before, but I wish there was a Hope Rising Clinic in every state. I mean, you all are really just doing groundbreaking work in the area of FASD and prenatal alcohol and substance abuse exposure. So um, let's talk about how people can donate or um, support the Hope Rising Clinic, or if people are interested in finding out, hey, can we get something like this going where we're at? Let's talk about that. Yeah, so one of the biggest challenges to having a clinic like this is revenue. On our early support side, we have some government funds that are funneled to our program uh, on a per child rate, in addition to being able to bill insurance. Uh, Hope Rising Clinic, we knew we were taking a risk uh, when we opened it because our only revenue source is insurance billing. We don't have those Part C dollars that we have for our birth to three kids that also help support uh, the services that we provide. We also found in a very short period of time that most of our families have public insurance, uh, which have which provides for the, a, a relatively low reimbursement rate to organizations. So that's the biggest challenge is a challenge with Hope Rising Clinic is really uh, getting enough funding to continue as we are, but also to grow to meet the need. And so our number one need, honestly, uh, are donations. We want people who are to be passionate about this work. Uh, So we like to tell the story. And if people are uh, so compelled to donate, that is wonderful. And every dollar that's donated really helps uh, us to keep this program going that is difficult to generate money for. The other uh, 
work that we have going on and that we're really hoping to accomplish is some level of replication of our program. We know that Hope Rising Clinic cannot serve every child in our community, uh, certainly not Washington State and certainly not nationwide. But we do know that we're developing a pretty remarkable model of care that uh, other organizations or providers may be interested in offering in their communities. So we are working on a manual currently uh, that really tells the story of Hope Rising Clinic. Uh, all of the hurdles that we've overcome, things we tried that have worked incredibly well, things that we tried that fell flat. Uh, we talk about everything from billing to naming uh, to facilities uh, and interventions. So we're really trying to cover our journey over the last few years so that others can learn from it and maybe uh, take what we've created and run with it and offer even some portion of it would be a really welcome addition to most communities and certainly for families that are, are struggling with this issue. Wow. Wow. So how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in donating or supporting or even replicating? Yeah. So for the donation part, the best way to probably do that is to go to our new Hope Rising Clinic website, which we're really proud of and excited by. It used to be part of the Wonderland website. And now we have a new um, independent website. So definitely take a look at that. It's hoperisingclinic.org. And then we have a chief investments and partnership officer named Liz Flores Marcus, who is wonderful. And uh, she's relatively new to us, but quickly developing a passion for this work and speaks so beautifully about it. And she would be more than happy to talk with anybody about contributions to the program and what that can look like. As far as learning more about the program itself and possible training, consultation, replication possibilities, uh, contacting either Alex or myself would definitely work for that purpose. And we'll be listing all of the email information as well as the website and any pertinent information in today's program notes. So thank you so much very much, Alex and Michelle, for being on today's episode of FASD Hope. Again, I am just wowed and thankful for the amazing work that you're doing. And I'm so hopeful in seeing how Hope Rising Clinic has just exponentially grown and served your community and hopeful that the model and what you're doing could be replicated and could serve other communities as well. So you all have hope in your name. We have hope in our name. And you know, I like to end our episodes on hope takeaways. So what words of hope can you offer to families, caregivers, those that will be listening to this episode and just maybe even figuring out their next steps or Maybe they've been on this journey for a while and they just need an infusion of hope. Yeah, I would say that celebrate the, the small wins and really focus on those baby steps that are successful. Um, I think, you know, having a child with FASD and prenatal substance exposure, it can be, you know, a roller coaster of progress and moving backwards and challenging days and challenging hours and then a positive hour. And our families really have shown that to us. And as a team, we share those small wins. Um, 
And I just kind of wanted to give a few that have been shared with us that the team has really um, felt moved by and felt hopeful from and would like to leave with that. Um, one is the family we've been working with for a while, took the summer off and we got a message from them recently saying it was the best summer they've probably ever had. And they're starting school year off great and they're finally in a good groove and having more wins, um, which to us was just a beautiful piece. They, they're probably gonna come back to us at some point and need more support, but they're in a good place right now and finding hope in where they are right now. So uh, I'll leave that, <laughs> celebrate those small wins. And on those wonderful words of hope, thank you, Alex and Michelle, for being on FASD Hope and sharing about Hope Rising Clinic. Thank you, Natalie. And thank you so much for all the work you're doing to get the word out there uh, about FASD and to get support to the people who need it. Thank you. And I look forward to having you both on again in 2022. Give us an update and hopefully we'll hear some replication stories. We'll hear the exponential growth that you're doing and just how we can make it hope squared or hope cubed. We can, you know, just take that hope and, and make an exponential growth. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, I look forward to speaking to you all next year. Alex Lundy and Michelle Stiller Bradley from Hope Rising Clinic. Thanks again for being on FASD Hope. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.